Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Brought to you in part by International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, and Maine Operation Game Thief. A Game Warden's children's book titled A Cowboy in the Woods is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery. What he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon, combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit 
huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome back to the Warden's Watch podcast. And this podcast is kind of a follow-up from the Kevin Bear podcast that we dropped last time, where Kevin Bear was shot in the line of duty. And I don't want to forget the guys and girls, the first ones that get there on scene. So this is kind of a lessons learned, once again, from our first responder and our first game warden on scene, Jason Keller, who goes through his response to the incident and everything that happened to him. Not everything, because we forgot a few things. And one thing uh, Jason wanted to put out there was his thanks to the Cincinnati Police Department for everything they did, their FOP. They did some outstanding stuff while Kevin Bear was in the hospital. So the appreciation for all law enforcement, for sure, to the Cincinnati Police Department and their Fraternal Order of Police Organization. Thank you very much for that. And I have a call out to kind of a, a thanks for listening type. You know, we never do on Warden's Watch, but this one's kind of special. Captain Jeff Paviglio, and I hope I said that right, Jeff. 1st Battalion, 66th Armor Regiment, the Iron Knights, the oldest tank battalion in the U.S. Army. They're part of the 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 4th Infantry Division. And they've been stationed in Eastern Europe for the past nine months and are scheduled to be back in the States here this December. Thank you, Jeff, for listening. Thank you for your service, and thank you for the service of all those that you serve with, all those men and women that have been over in Eastern Europe uh, protecting the borders over there. So thank you for your service. And now to the podcast, the follow-up from Kevin Bear with Jason Keller, first responder, canine handler. Thank you for listening to Warden's Watch, and please share. You know, share this This podcast was pretty special. Uh, lots of lessons learned as officers and lots of information for non-police officers for sure. So you get into the intricacies of shooting. So thank goodness uh, we're dropping this right around Thanksgiving. And I certainly am certainly thankful for Kevin Bear still being here. It's kind of a, a story of survival. So please share it to those friends because uh, people that listen to Warden's Watch, I think you have friends just like you that would like to hear these stories and learn whether you're a law enforcement officer or whether you are a civilian and would like to learn more of what happens in a shooting when an officer's down. On this Warden's Watch, we're doing a follow-up from the last episode of Warden's Watch where we had Kevin Bear on who spoke about being shot in the line of duty during a, a decoy operation there in Ohio. 
And one thing I missed for 20 years was the responding officers that responded to my shooting incident. And I don't want to miss that because I think it lends so much to what we can learn from incidents. And Kevin Bear and I spoke about that. Kevin certainly wants everybody to learn as much as they can from his shooting incident. And that's important to him. And I understand that we're making lemonade out of lemons here. So as a follow-up podcast, I have one of the responding officers that was there that day. Jason Keller from Ohio DNR Law Enforcement Division is joining in this podcast today to talk about his response, the nuts and the bolts of the incident, Jason, because it, it is a whole different angle. And we talked earlier about how different things are remembered different ways by different people. And it's just, it's a, it's a different angle. It's a different perspective and what your brain grasps onto in a critical incident compared to what somebody else's brain grasps onto. And I always like the analogy, and I don't think anybody understands until they experience it, everything slows down. And Kevin talks about that too, so that slowing down phase of the way things were happening. And I certainly remember the, the slowing down of things and being able to perceive things that seemed easier, but it was it was going at a fast pace. So thanks, Jason, for joining us and, and talking about this uh, incident that's not, not a great incident for anybody here. Uh, thanks for, for having me, Wayne. Yeah, and, and just can you, can you set up the framework of that day? You guys were working together on a, on a decoy detail, and uh, just I'm going to let you do a lot of the talking, and I'll interject when I think I, I'd like some clarification or something. But, I mean, the way Kevin told the story, I didn't, I didn't inject a whole lot because I think there's a lot to learn from you guys, and there's a lot to learn from me just being quiet for a change. Yeah, it's one of those things that, I mean, as officers – uh, wildlife officers. I mean, we set up projects kind of in our, our known areas where we're having problems. Um, in this particular case, um, we had a lot of issues in and around that given area. Um, Matt Roberts was one of the other wildlife officers. He was kind of covering, or he was the Clinton County officer where this incident took place. And me and him got talking a couple of days before this um, about running a decoy, seeing if we could kind of do something a little bit different, something we haven't tried yet this year. So we agreed a last day of our, I guess, extra bonus gun season. Let's run decoy and, and see what happens. So Matt did a lot of the, the legwork, following through all our policies and procedures on the deer decoy, talking to the landowners, uh, finding spots for us to sit. And I'm fairly familiar with that area just from working in the past. And so we agreed to, to start at a certain time. Matt and Kevin were the ones that were going to set up the decoy. And I was just going to go sit up eh, about a half mile away up on top of the hillside at one of the local residents there and kind of see what happened. And it happened quick. Um, got there. I probably got in my spot eh, about 3.30 or so, give or take a little bit. We were going to run the decoy from about whenever they got set up till uh, dark. Like always, the, the lane owner that I parked at, he was real curious, as they usually are. So I talked to him for a little bit, and then I recall Matt saying, hey, you might be able to see the decoy from up on top of the hill. So I was like, okay. So I took my binoculars, and I walked kind of the hill edge. It's kind of brushy, and just started glassing that open field and where they said the decoy was going to be. And <clears throat> I caught a glimpse of that, a little bit of that white patch on the neck there. 
It's like, oh, okay, there's decoy. Looks pretty good. I mean, I couldn't really see the body or the antlers from where I was at. I could just see that white throat patch. So fast forward, oh, about a good two minutes and still sitting up there and see that white truck come rolling down through. You can see the orange and the guys um, that were driving in the passenger seat and that big deer decal, decal on the, the back window. And things escalated real quick from there. And they went up, turned around. They, talk, they actually talked to another person on the road and then went up and dropped somebody off. And I could see them get dropped off, could tell they would have a long gun. And then the, the truck came rolling back. And that's kind of when I ran back to my vehicle because I'm thinking, oh, something's actually going to happen real quick. Mm-hmm. So I was actually at the my door with the door still open, getting ready to get in when that, that shot rang out. You know, the general response, as soon as you hear the shot, do you respond right away or do you wait for the officer to call? Or um, Typically, we'll start rolling that way. I mean, I wasn't very far away at all. I mean, like I said, maybe a half mile. Um, had to turn on to one other, the road that the vehicle was on, I had to turn on to that one, but that was about it. So I was pretty close and just heard that shot ring out and then heard screaming, man, that's, that's odd. So I'd start rolling down there and I still didn't know what exactly happened at that point. So I'm trying to figure out, did they shoot from the road? What happened? So I go pulling in front of that white truck with my lights and sirens and everything on. And as I'm exiting, I mean, you could just hear that scream. Something I'll definitely never forget, that, that screaming, and that screaming will end up being coming from Kevin. Yeah. No, so from, from there, I don't recall Kevin saying that he was shot over the radio or anything like that. I mean, everything at this point was just happening so fast. I knew I had to get up there. So go pulling up there, and I actually came in, end up coming where the shooter end up entered the woods is actually where I kind of entered in as well. Matt Roberts was coming as well, and he entered kind of at the bottom of the field. Matt got there right before I did. I'd run through a bunch of multiple rows and honeysuckle and briars, and then we got to Kevin. And and you pick up your pace with the cruiser when you you know something's wrong at this point. You put the pedal to the metal. Oh yeah, yep. yeah. Um, You're screaming in there, trying to get there as fast as you can to 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 see what's going on. Basically, at this yeah. point. So I hit my emergency button. That's one of the few times in my career that I've ever actually mm-hmm. had to use it when I was working where it wasn't incidental, where a tree or something hit it when mm-hmm. crawling through the brush. But run down there and then just get into Kevin and kind of that, oh shit, this actually happened. From there, things were going at warp speed, but in the same sense, kind of like what you said, it started slowing down. Your mind started processing that. And just instantly that, that training starts kicking in. Okay, we got to find this, this entry wound. Um, we got to stop the bleeding. We got to do what we can to, to get him on the helicopter. Yeah. Is Kevin conscious by when you get to him? Yeah, he, he stayed conscious pretty much the whole time. Wow. That's one thing cool. me and Matt kept talking to him because we knew, I mean, we just had to keep him talking. Yeah. If he was talking, that means he was breathing. That means he was still alive. Do you know if Matt hit his emergency button too? Because one thing I'm thinking, because I, you know, if we all have Motorola's, is that orange button on the top the emergencies. And I, like you, I've hit it accidentally, and the troop station for us called them to check on us, which is great. But when there are multiple emergency buttons going off, that dispatcher, I will tell you, 
all of a sudden knows that there's a serious problem. So I'm just curious. I mean, I think Kevin remembers hitting his emergency button. You hit yours and Matt hits his. I, I know that dispatchers like all of a sudden knows that's hit the fan and, and is on it. And that's one of those things we've learned a lot from this incident. Uh, so Kevin did hit his, but his was actually tied to a different investigator. So his wasn't even showing on scene. Uh, uh, mine was shown on scene. Matt, I do not believe did hit his. But yeah, it's one thing I learned that every time I keyed up on my mic, everything went priority to me. So they heard mine, but they didn't hear of any of the other traffic going on. And I didn't realize that. I didn't turn my emergency off for probably a half hour, 45 minutes, even amongst the scene, just talking to the other officers or the other officers on scene, uh, telling them different things. That was automatically kicking back to dispatch to their, their main channel. Which is good because they know what's going on real real time so they, they can help. So, yeah, those emergency yeah, but- buttons are important. And it sounds like that automatically updates your, your location. So Ours have the, the GPS in the, the portable radios as well as we have them in the trucks. And it up load, or updates our location like every three seconds or something like that. Wow. Great. So technology can be, be a blessing. Yes. Yes. And I, I, and I, that's why I wanted to talk about that emergency button. Cause I think a lot of officers thinks it's a pain in the butt because when it does get hit, and I know I've hit mine three or four times and you know, you feel like an idiot and uh, you know, you're getting called <laughs> anyways, but that's, that's a, that's a good learning lesson there about those emergency buttons, even if they're not linked with a GPS. Cause I don't believe ours were, but certainly we'd go back and, and again, what it's linked to, I think you brought out a point, important point that Kevin's wasn't linked to that. I know that I made sure it went to a dispatch that was 24 hours for us and, you know, always manned because uh, our headquarters would shut down here and there and we wanted it to go to our troop stations that covered us 24-7. Yep. So our, our dispatchers, we do have 24-7 dispatchers for ODNR. So there's always somebody in there and on our busy seasons, like our gun firearm seasons and stuff like that. They have a little bit more staffing in there. That's that. That's great. So you get to Kevin and you're starting to do first aid. Are you guys trained in first aid? Yeah, we, we've taken first aid classes. I mean, all your, your basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, we've done a little more in-depth first aid. Uh, we did a course about a year ago. It's called Stop the Bleeding, mm-hmm. which is a, a real good course. Not highly recommended to, to any officer or really anybody. I mean, that could be used in your personal life or at work. Um, and it just kind of gives you the, that quick run through the basics. So you, you have an idea of what to do when you need to do it. And, and pretty much were you doing that stuff that you were taught and stop the bleeding on, on Kevin initially? Yeah, for the most part. So where Kevin was hit was kind of in the, the buttocks area. Um, so it was a lot of stripping down some clothes and getting to that, that actual wound. And then it was just packing it as full as we could with gauze. Mm. Um, one of the hardest parts is we couldn't find an exit wound and we've all been around enough deer that we've shot and stuff and looking for that exit wound we could not find one so that was kind of tearing at us a little bit of i mean where i mean this bullet has to be in him yet yeah and not knowing where exactly it was was a little bit nerve-wracking you could say yeah yeah and on on top of you're already nerve-wracking because you guys know you guys know <laughs> there's no exit. Well, never mind what's hidden between, but, you know, internal bleeding and, you know, the only thing you can do is, uh, you know, pack that wound so it doesn't bleed out. Um, and, uh, and one of the things I remember distinctly was the smell. 
And anybody that's hunted long enough and has or been around a, a gut shot deer or something along those lines, it really didn't smell too much different than that. It was basically just his insides just got shredded. Uh, yeah. And then, again, having that knowledge isn't a good thing for a, a first responder because you, you know what's going on. And, and it's yep. tough when it's your fellow officer, your friend, and uh, yeah, that, it just tightens everything. Um, the, oh, your, yeah. Your urgency, uh, everything. So in, in small rural communities, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. You're friendly with the, the sheriffs. You're friendly with the, the, the state police. You're friendly with the, the local police. And, you know, so oh, always yeah. responding to these things is, is just like that. Yep. So, so who called the helicopter? Um. I think we both did, or all three of us, and that's one thing, listening to the, the dispatch audio again, I think we called for it like four or five times, like, hey, we need them here now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're on their way, but we need them now. Mm-hmm. They kept saying, oh, 25 minutes out, 30 minutes out. I swear every time I asked them, it was, oh, they're 25 minutes out, and I mm-hmm. could have been asking them every 30 seconds. <laughs> um, that's one thing. I can pretty much remember all of the details um, pretty pretty vividly, um, but time, I have no recollection of time from when things started to when things ended, that, that time concept is kind of foreign. Mm-hmm. And you get your your first responders, your local first responders are going to arrive there first, so I imagine they got on scene right away uh, in preparation for that helicopter ride. Yep, yeah, so the, the EMT showed up, and actually we had a one of our other officers didn't live too far away. He was actually just getting home um, from work in the morning and he responded. He was actually the, I guess he would have been the third one there. One of our other wildlife officers was the third one. Um, and then the EMS and the sheriff's department. And then we had the state troopers. Everybody was showing up on scene. And at one point I can just remember looking up and the entire road was just full of red and blue lights thinking man this is it's impressive to see the response in that that situation and kind of that brotherhood of law enforcement just all coming together for each other yeah and those guys know what they're doing they get a helicopter they're setting up an lz they're already in prep phase because that's what they do that's what that ems does the fire department knows their roles and it just it it happens so quick and uh efficiently it always you know boggles my mind that you what you don't have to think of because the other professionals roll in and they're used to doing what they do yeah Um, it was it was definitely a blessing when i guess you could say that that calvary started getting there um i mean you could just hear sirens from way off in the distance and they just kept getting closer with that in in mind we also had a shooter at large yes um so he took off running and Matt actually identified him as he was running across the field. We, we knew who he was. So we got that out on the radio of, hey, this is who we're looking for. Um, the highway patrol, our state troopers, they got a helicopter up and were in route to help locate that suspect or subject. Um, I mean, it was, it was moving fast, to mm. say the least. Yep. And once you package Kevin up and get him on his way, your role changes again, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I kind of broke everything down. Um, I, I used the, the wind philosophy and it was some training I took probably way back when I first started. I think it might've been even the blow 100 course, but it's, it's wind. it's what's important now. 
And I can remember asking myself that five different times vividly. Hey, what's important now? What's important? We got to get Kevin on this helicopter. We got to get him some medical care. And then everything just kind of keeps, keeps turning. Once you accomplish that task, moving on to the next one. Okay. What's yeah. important now? And, and that getting him packaged and everything, he's conscious. He's, he's talking to you. He's telling you what went on, I'm assuming. And the one thing that I, boggles my mind that he he had the the forethought to say which hospital he wanted to go to which uh great and yeah that just blows my mind that he had the foresight to say hey this is where i need to go <laughs> yeah yep and and that that does not surprise me one bit out of kevin um <laughs> that he would do that or be able to do that to say the least but yeah we we got him on the the helicopter he was still conscious then and he took off and i can remember one of our other officers um, saying, hey, he's on the helicopter. He's he's in good hands now. I mean, those those are the experts. They know what they're doing. You got him there, and he was alive. Yeah. So, so it's kind of one of those things. Okay, that that took a little bit of a weight off the shoulders, but now, hey, we got to go back to this this incident. Hmm. We got to find the subject, find everybody else that was involved. Um, we have to work up the the scene, find all the evidence, and it was. It was fast paced, but still slow because yeah. it was. And Jason, was, I just want to go back a little because I, I know it kind of hit me before he gets on the helicopter. He, he, you know, and I'm not sure when he did this, but he's giving you instructions. If he doesn't make it what he wants to happen and his, his last wishes, so to speak. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, some of some of that stuff was when he was still laying on the ground there. And it, I mean, that's things I'll never forget. Mm. Um, some of the... I would almost say their ramblings. Some of the stuff he was saying wasn't making a lot of sense, but some of it made plenty of sense. And exactly what he wanted us to, to do or to tell his family, his kids, his wife, I mean, everything along those lines. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a tough moment for a responding officer. Um, yep. and, a, and a lot of responsibility, <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you. I yeah. mean... Uh, never happened to me i've never been in that position and nor do i ever want to be in that position because that's just uh you know it, 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 as he's talking on his podcast about that and then i'm i'm thinking of you i really am i'm thinking i'm trying to put my shoes in the other guy's foot i'm like this this is heavy stuff and <laughs> and hopefully you got enough stuff to go on that you, your brain isn't focusing on that and you're focusing on a lot of other things yeah, and that's one thing me and matt and um eric lamb who was that third responding officer just kept talking to him about anything and everything. Mm. Um, hey, you're going to be fine. Just kind of that reassuring. Hey, we're going to, we're going to, helicopters almost here. You're going to be fine. I mean, just that whole nine yards where there was, there was a little bit of, of smoke or lying behind that. Who knows? Mm. But it was one of those things just, hey, we just got to keep him talking. Um, we'll let him talk too. But if he's talking, he's still breathing. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're getting better care all the time. First, the first EMTs arrive, the first paramedics arrive, the care increases. That helicopter arrives, the care increases. 
and, and the time frame increases and we all know about that golden hour that we got to get him there in that golden hour you know we're, we're, we're pushing that so, oh but, and every time I used to feel better with the ETMTs I respond to a snowmobile accident or something and it was bad I'd be like I always feel relief when the first EMT arrived and I'll never forget my buddy Jake Weber yeah I put a, a, a tarp over the sky and he, he picks it up and it was it was a bad scene and he he just looks at me and he says that's the worst thing I've ever seen and I said Jake I was counting on you because <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever seen too. And, and now, now you just brought me from being really relieved that you're here down to now we're, we're in the same boat we were when I, when you got here. <laughs> yep. and, it, and it is a, a sense of relief for, I mean, the EMTs from every officer showing up, you're thinking, okay, things are, are getting under control. We're going to, we're going to be able to complete this task that we need to complete. Mm, yeah. So, Yep, and then and then the helicopter lifts off. Kevin's on his way. You're switching over to investigation at this point. So it's kind of that that mad dash of relaying information um, to the responding officers, to who we're looking for, where they were at. The the one suspect stayed on the scene. The guy in the white truck. Um, when I left him, I said, "Do not leave. Do not mm. move." Um, thankfully, he stayed there, and we were able to get a, a lot of good information from him. To, to relate to the, the other officers. So he was cooperative, the guy that was driving the truck that this guy got out of. Yeah, for the for the most part. For he was part. he was pretty cooperative. Yeah. Um so yeah, then it switches over to that that investigation mode and I have one of our, our canines and I can remember my supervisor coming over and saying, Hey, you got the dog. You wanna go track this guy down right now? And I'm thinking, Oh absolutely <laughs> But also in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that what's important now, that was one of those those questions I asked. And what was important to me right then um, is not burning her nose on that track since we knew who he was. Had a lot of guys looking for him to let one of the other canines responding do that. I was going to switch my focus and her focus over to finding this these shell and mm. figure out where this guy shot from. Yeah, absolutely. Good decision. So, so you used your canine. Yep. And, and that's the same one you have with you today. I'm assuming scout. What now? It's the same one you have today with you scout or. Yep. And this is, this is scout. Yeah. <laughs> up, up here. Huh? Yeah. Great. <laughs> so yeah, she, she would have been out in the field with me for about two years before this incident happened. We're still learning a lot, but I had a lot of confidence in her and, mm-hmm. and finding everything that we needed to. But Anybody that's been around dogs knows that they kind of feed off of your energy and your emotions. Yes. Um, and I mean, I was kind of a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Mine's going a million different places all at once. And I mean, we, we train a lot, but I get her out of the car and she just starts barking at the lights going off, all the people, different people running around. I'm thinking, Oh, great. This isn't really what I want right now, but <laughs> got her hooked up into her vest, got her collar on her and sent her off into to looking and she did everything i would expect her to do and she would do it all over again um so we started looking and where i first started her was kind of close to where the guy hit the gun or where he threw it down and we already knew where that was at and she just immediately ran over and, and laid right down on that thinking okay she's on her game mm-hmm. so then i started moving out a little bit farther and farther and anybody that's been that works a dog knows that that big head snap. If you work bird dogs or one of the canines in law enforcement, yeah, 
that big head snap. And I seen her do that. And she went and crawled up under a log and laid down thinking we got something here mm. and walk up. And there's that, that yellow 20 gauge slug, the empty casing laying right between her paws. Wow. So, so that was one of those big relief moments right then mm. and there too. It's like, okay, now we're, we're onto something. We got this shell casing up in the woods. We know where he shot from. Now, now we can move on from here. Mm-hmm. Great. So what, what, what was next? So next I've, I stayed on scene the entire time. Probably around this time is probably when he got apprehended. A state trooper found him coming out of the woods along the road and picked him up and put him in the back of the cruiser. So I started helping one of the, the sheriff's department and one of our investigators kind of work up basically the, the shooting location, um, <clears throat> telling them where Kevin was at and kind of those whole that whole nine yards of basically doing a what I would consider like a hunter incident, what we've done in the past is kind of what we did. And it was a different feeling doing it on somebody that got shot, let alone an officer that you were working with that day. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cause you're, you're, you know, documenting where Kevin was, where the shooter was, where the casing was found, where the gun was found. And then you're going to put this all on paper with measurements. And so yep. you create a document that you can present in a court of law so you can bring them back through that area, just like it was happening that day, which is uh, something I want to get to because I, I don't know, sometimes juries and judge likes like to go back to scenes too, of yep. to bring juries two scenes of murder cases and fishing game got got in that because we had the only four-wheel drive vehicles so we were bringing the jury up as when i was a trainee when we did that so but yeah so you got to create a picture and evidence you know dissipates so you you only have a short time frame to do this especially you know in climate weather comes in and there's all kinds of things that come to this so and yeah at this point have you found that thermal scope that he took off the gun yeah we already found that scout actually uh, alerted on that too it was um a few yards away from where that shotgun was okay and to my knowledge nobody touched that yet and when she laid down on that it's that that article search that human odor so i'm thinking man somebody was holding this right right now so we kind of assumed it had to have been from our suspect Mm mm-hmm yeah, so you've got, you know, you've got the shell casing, you've got the gun, you've got the thermal scope now. So you've got a location where he, he was and then where Kevin was. And it always blows my mind that he was like 50 feet away. Is Am I correct on saying that or was it 50 yards? I'm not, uh, a little less than 50 feet. Like it was 48 less. yard or 48 feet. That just, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> it really and, is. And I'll, I would give Scout the credit on that one because I wanted to start searching up the hill farther, but mm-hmm. her being the dog, she's running all over the place, and she she nailed that one. Um, and I and that's one of those things that I remember is thinking, I know where Kevin was, I know where the shell casing was, so I know where he was. That is not a far distance. No, that's close. That is so close. I would have been just like you, not starting 50 feet away at all, like more like, you know, 30 to 50 yards to, to beyond. Yeah. Uh, just yep. uh, when he told me 50 feet, I was just uh, taken back by that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Hard to believe. Very, very hard to believe. So, so we, the, the suspects in got him. You guys have sealed up your scene. 
And now, now, now I'm sure the supervisors are arriving and, uh, you know, you guys have to do statements and, and maybe not that day. Cause now, now I'm thinking, you know, as a supervisor, I'm thinking critical incidents for you guys too. So we got to circle the wagons, so to speak, um, get, get our guys back to normal. So tell us about the, the process after that. I mean, because I know every one of you guys wants to go to the hospital and probably did. Well, and that's the, the thing that was kind of unique about it is this happened right when uh, COVID was flaring back up. Oh, so that's right, they would sir. not let anybody at the hospital, our law enforcement staff that responded to the hospital. I think they made them sit either outside or right inside that first room. Mm. Nobody could go up to the room. So we never actually seen Kevin in the hospital or the rehab center anywhere like that, which was a, I mean, it's own problems in itself. Yeah, um, no, that's tough. So it was hard not to be able to to see him. Mm. So basically, we seen pictures from his wife <laughs> is, is kind of what we seen. But yeah, I mean, so we got, so they did surgery on him that night. Then we started getting information from the hospital. And that first night, didn't they didn't find the whole slug inside of him. Jeez. So now we're thinking, man, did he get shot with something else? So we actually went back out that next morning to continue to look and kind of work the scene up when it was daylight a little bit more. One of the, it's actually the first thing scout found that next morning was actually Kevin's glasses laying in the grass or the leaves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up getting those back to him, but we ended up finding some shell components um, from the slug that next morning that helped tie things together. And about that time is when we got information from the hospital again, that it was, they did recover the rest of the slug or most of it enough to to say that it was a, from a a slug. Right. Right. And one of you guys had given the, the helicopter a 20 gauge shotgun to let them know what they were looking for. Yep. That was me. That was Um, you. Yeah. And it was actually a, the slug that ended up, he wasn't using, he had two different brands and I gave him the one that they weren't, that he didn't have in the gun. Hmm. At least they knew it was a big chunk of lead. Yep. Yep. And it's amazing how that stuff can hide when it gets up close to a bone and stuff too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then that, that next day, so we, we worked out there with the investigators and the sheriff's department. Um, and then I went and, and did my report and any wildlife officer, most law enforcement, they have their little honey holes, their hideaway spots in the County. One of mine's on a, a big property and I went and sat there and, and typed up my report. Um, and just, recalling all that it kind of puts you right back in that situation all over again so there's rush of emotions as you're trying to put your thoughts on on paper you reread it about four different times you're thinking man that doesn't make any sense or is that exactly what happened and things along those lines so it was it was different um trying to do that critical incident that that next day putting it on paper and just kind of reliving it all over again yeah, no, no doubt. And I'm sure you did n- numerous times thereafter. So, and I'm assuming at the trial you testified. Yep. Yep. So I, I testified me and one other officer and then Kevin were the, the wildlife officers that testified. And that was a whole different element of stress, I guess. Mm. Um, knowing that you're going to be going up on the stand testifying and one of your, your fellow friends and officers getting shot and have to basically tell your story all over again to a jury. 
Yeah, um, with the guy that did it sitting there. Yep, while he's sitting there looking at you, smiling, doing whatever he's doing. Mm, definitely a whole other <laughs> thing. And that, how, was that a year out before it went to trial? Yeah, it was a little, it would have been just shy of a year. Just shy um, of a year. That, that that all happened. So it would have yeah. been in December of 2021 mm-hmm. is when he had his, we went through county court, so through the state. Yeah, and, and during that, that whole year, you're getting updates on Kevin, his progress, yep. uh, that one bad bout he had in the mm-hmm. hospital where, yeah, they had to revive him again eight days after, he yep. was, which was uh, traumatic to hear. And <laughs> yeah, just so, so happy he made it through that. You, you think once you get him to the hospital and get him stabilized, you'd, you'd be clear. But no, you know, we have a bout with uh, septic or something else that was going on with him. And, you know, they have to revive him eight days later. That's, he's one tough individual. <laughs> There's no doubt about he, that. He wasn't, he wasn't giving up. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can remember getting that, that text forwarded to me from his wife about that December 28th. Mm. of kind of what happened and what was going on and his his wife kathy uh, she actually works for us for the division of wildlife as well in our information education section mm. Mm. so that was a i would say a plus um because we already knew her on a, a personal level she was she was great at getting us updates and information of hey we're having surgery again this day or hey another surgery today mm. hey, this, this is what they found this is what this is the steps we're going to be taking from moving forward. So it was, it was a relief to get a lot of that information back. Right. Yeah. So lessons learned through this whole thing. We talked about the radio one. I certainly know Kevin wants to make as much lemonade out of this incident as possible uh, for, for learning purposes. And certainly, you know, that's why the podcast was here, you know, and I thought about this coming into hunting season and how important it is to, to, to put officers that listen to the podcast, hey, here's what's going on, here's what you should be thinking about, or just keep that in the back of your mind. And, and then, as well as listeners that aren't law enforcement, the dangers of this job we do. It's, it's, it can be a dangerous, it's a great and rewarding job, but it can be an extremely dangerous job. Yeah, so, so one of the big things that, that I took out of it is, I mean, we go through quite a bit of training, train like you're in the actual scenario and just don't go through the motions. Mm. I mean, your, your training is going to kick in. So if you train like you should, that's going to benefit you on the, in the long run in scenarios like this. One of the other things is, I mean, if you're involved in a a critical incident or a critical event, um, it's most likely going to suck, be mentally prepared for it. Kind of that the the mind cannot go or the body cannot go where the mind has not been. Um, so put yourself in those situations and how would you react to, to different items or scenarios that are thrown at you? And then probably first and foremost, know how to use your first aid kit and where your first aid kit's at. Mm. I mean, I've, I've always, and probably some senior officer told me to do it. I have no idea who, why I do it, but I carry my, my combat gauze in my vest. And that was the first thing that went in Kevin was that combat gauze that I had on him. Mm. So it's, it's those little things that you can prepare for. So when that event does happen, you can kind of embrace that suck and get through it. Mm. Oh, great, great, great advice. And that's part of, uh, you know, especially for young officers that haven't dealt with that is part of the podcast is putting their minds in the situation, put, put your minds like you were Jason Keller and you are running to Kevin Bear shot 
and you know this is how you respond and this is what you do and yeah i did the same thing i had those little packets a quick clot that i used to take and stuff it in my my you know my inside of my vest and stuff like that that that's a great thing um tourniquets are a, a big thing right now so again you know you just never know when you use it yeah it's a pain in the butt and if you have it on you it's going to be that much easier to to respond and grab it uh, whether it's for you or somebody else um, but yeah, those are, put your, put your mindset. And it was funny as a young officer, I got to work uh, with uh, the National Park Service and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And I, some of the guys that I worked with, Bob Snow ended up being a, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife agent, but we'd always put ourselves in these scenarios as young officers. What would you do if this happened? What would you do if that happened? And, you know, that is really good training. And I'm glad you brought that up, Jason, is, you know, you got to think about this. What would you do in this incident? And you can do this all day long. If you got another officer that jumps in a cruiser and you guys don't mind chatting about it, sometimes you get that older officer that's been there, done that, and you can learn from his experience. But even if you're a younger officer, hey, this is... This is what, you know, <laughs> this is what I would do. And then you, you bounce it back and forth and it's kind of a learning experience among peers. And I think it's, it's, it's great. I'm glad you brought that up is uh, put your mind there because, you know, always, I always say, you know, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. And if you always prepare for when, if it ever happens, you're still prepared. Yep. Kind of that prepare for the, fir- prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Yep. Um, mentality probably one of the other big things think about your family at home um because it's going to hit the news it's going to they're going to start getting phone calls um so when things slow down enough and the the scene is kind of controlled make sure you're touching base with your your spouses giving them a phone call letting them know what happened and that's one of those phone calls you don't want to ever have to make but it's a phone call that you need to make. Um, just kind of put them at ease to let them know that you're okay mm. and something bad happened. Yeah, because that's hard to remember for yourself when, yep. you're, when you're so busy. And yep. it's hitting the news, it's hitting the social media. And you're right, your, your, your loved ones are thinking it, it could be you. And that's that, that's that's a good good idea to to let them know, and then all you have to do is let one know that you could you know if you can't get your wife or your son or whatever, you get somebody, and then let them know that everything's okay. It's just that 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 tree works the other way too. <laughs> so yep, absolutely. Because yeah. we all know they worry about us. We try not mm. to think they worry, but we know they do. Yeah, um, and dispatchers too. I'll tell you what, uh, some of uh, the best contacts I've ever had when something. Even as a retired lieutenant, when something hits the fan, the dispatchers call me and say, hey, lieutenant, we want you to know this just happened. Just, uh, I, I can never put enough emphasis on the dispatchers. They're our lifelines. And, you know, they're, they became some really good friends through the years and just uh, always giving me a heads up on things that I would want to know that I don't want to read in the paper. And uh, they'll call me at 5 a.m. just to let me know, you know, what's hit the fan because they don't want me to, to read into the news. And, boy, mm-hmm. I, I just can't appreciate that more. Absolutely. Um, I've become pretty good friends with some of the dispatchers, um, even though they're a few hours away. I still mm-hmm. talk to a couple of them. Those are some of those voices that I'll never forget through that night is just talking to them and having that person on the, the other end of that, that microphone. Yeah, and the trauma that they get through listening to the pain in your voice 
and the things that are going on and the things that they have to focus on to get assistance to you. Yeah, that's, oh, absolutely. Uh, to me, there's nothing a, a tough, tougher job because everything when it hits the fan goes to them and, and they probably have to deal with more that they can't control. Um, they can help and they'll, they'll help all they can. But um, oh, man, uh, that's, that's a job I couldn't do. That one's not for me. I'd yes. rather be on the, the front lines. I, I am a 100% with you, Jason. But I, I, every time I get a chance to plug those guys and girls, and, you know, it's just what, what a great job dispatchers do um, and how important they are. The, you can put all the computers in our cruisers. You can put all the GPS on them. And I guess what? Without another person on the end of that radio, it's, it, it, it's, it's useless if you ask me because the, no one else can discern when you're in trouble. And they can tell by the voice that, yeah, yeah, this is important and this, this has to come really quick. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, well, great. Th- thanks for J- Jason, for joining us at the Warden's Watch podcast to give that very unique perspective. And I think it's so important for a- any officer and to hear those stories. And it is so nice to hear a story of survival. Um, yeah, that, that's great. And I can't be ha- happy enough to have Kevin with us to, to tell his story and, and you to tell share that story too so we can do the lessons learned and move on and become better officers. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.